Hey friends, this is Linda. Thanks for tuning in to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, Do You Understand? We're looking at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40 and the difference between knowing and understanding the things of God. Are you ready? Let's begin. As a children's pastor and mom of two, I've been in situations where I had to dole out some discipline. Now, fellow educators and parents out there, this might resonate with you, but what is the thing we always ask kids after we harangue them? That's right, we ask them, do you understand? Now, if you really think about it, it's not a really effective thing to ask. Because to this day, no kid has ever replied, nope, I don't understand. Every single time I would give my stern talking to, I would ask if they understood what the talk was about, and each time they would say, yes, they understood. And about five minutes later, or maybe even less, they would demonstrate that they had not, in fact, understood a single word I had said by going ahead and repeating the exact same behavior that got them in trouble in the first place. But maybe we're just asking too much of kids because cognitive development-wise, it's really only much later that they develop more complex thinking and reasoning. As kids, they're more like sponges. They know more than they understand. Knowing is a static retainer of information, whereas understanding is an active ability to take that information and connect them together in meaningful ways. So when kids tell us they understand something, it's usually that they know the words we're saying and what they mean, but understanding, that's still a few milestones away. I make this distinction because today's Bible passage deals with this very tension between knowing and understanding. In the text, we find that one of the apostles, Philip, is sent by an angel of the Lord to an Ethiopian eunuch, who just so happens to be reading from Isaiah what we now know to be chapter 53. And Isaiah 53 is just one of those famous prophetic texts about the Messiah. Now, Acts chapter 8, verses 30 to 31 says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. From a contemporary standpoint, we might categorize the Ethiopian man as unchurched, maybe, thereby making Philip the missionary hero who educates the man in Introductory Gospel 101. But when you get a chance, re-examine the text. It tells us that this man was leaving Jerusalem, having gone there to worship. And he was sitting in the middle of a desert road, reading scripture. So this man knew the significance of what he was reading, and he was trying to make meaning and searching to make the connections, but he did not understand. The rest of the text tells us Philip does explain that the sheep led to the slaughter referred to in Isaiah is actually about Jesus and the sacrifice that he had made. And the story here ends with the man choosing to be baptized and Philip mysteriously being taken away to another location by the Spirit. 
This Acts 8 passage at the most basic level reminds us that when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, we need to be sensitive to where the Spirit leads us and live in obedience to the Spirit's leadership. Now, I know this is something we haven't been able to exercise for over a year as we sat in our respective quarantine bubbles, and rightly so. But moving forward, the encounter Philip had with the man from Ethiopia tells us to emerge from our comfort zones. When we remain situated in our home base, wherever that might be, we unwittingly limit the reach of the gospel. We neglect the power and capacity of the good news to bless and even transform those that are outside of our circle, those living in the margins, those we would rather not associate with. And I'm not even talking about strangers. There are people that sit just at the periphery of our circles that we don't allow in for whatever reason. And it might be because we think they're obstinate and won't listen. It might be because we think they're foregone conclusions and God have mercy on their souls. It might be because we're just afraid to approach them because they're just so different from us. And yet, those are the people we need to reach out to. And sometimes, reaching out just means being available when they have questions and walking through it together. However, I want to challenge you today to see this text as more than simply a call to evangelism. Not to say that evangelizing is in any way simple, and that is kind of the point I want to make. Maybe we need to revisit this concept of evangelizing. We read a text like this and we see it as a reminder to go tell more non-Christians about the gospel, or we feel burdened by the fact that we haven't been actively doing anything of the sort. But that's because we see ourselves as Philip in this passage, or at least we should strive to be like Philip anyway. But what if we identified more so with the Ethiopian man? The Ethiopian man, though he had limited understanding, had an earnestness in his desire to know God. To me, he's one of the greatest examples of someone with childlike faith, which is something that Jesus himself endorses. Even though the phrase faith like a child or childlike faith is actually not in the Bible, we do know that Jesus elevated children in their attributes for a reason. So to understand childlike faith, we first have to understand children and what they meant to Jesus, which I think is appropriate since today is the first Sunday in May, which is typically Children's Sunday in current American churches. Not that kids need another holiday, but this is usually a day we remind kids how much they are loved and that they are vital members of the church community. Are they though? Or rather, are they treated like they are? I've been a children's pastor for 14 years now, and in that time, I found that no matter how devoted a church says they are to their youngest members, no matter how catchy of a slogan they have plastered on their walls about next generation ministry, it's generally skin deep. When it comes to overall church planning, and even a weekly service for that matter, kids are usually an afterthought for most adults. It's rarely about how we can accommodate and nurture kids. It's more like, how can we occupy kids and keep them quiet while the grown-ups are in service? And Jesus would say this is very much backwards. 
one of my mentors from seminary, wrote a book a while ago called Understanding God's Heart for Children, wherein he and his colleagues identify seven key truths about children as gleaned from the Bible. First, God creates every unique person as a child with dignity. Second, children need parental love in a broken world. Third, God gives children as a gift to welcome and nurture. Fourth, society has a God-given responsibility for the well-being of children and families. Fifth, children are a promise of hope for every generation. Sixth, God welcomes children fully into the family of faith. And lastly, children are essential to the mission of God. God shows time and time again how much he values children, especially throughout the ministry of Jesus. So if any of us are patting ourselves on the back for the work we do with kids or having a robust kids ministry with all the bells and whistles, we kind of need to pause our self-accolades for a moment and ask ourselves if we're actually ministering to kids or if we're simply entertaining them. And I think you'll find that we as the Church of God everywhere can do so much better. And that's all I'm going to say on that for now. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. But back to how Jesus loved kids. In Matthew chapter 19, we find the story of people bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples rebuked these brazen parents. Verse 14 tells us, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus was actually livid with his disciples for acting like bouncers when it was precisely the kids who would be the greatest in the kingdom, which he had specifically told them just one chapter ago in Matthew 18. Now, this must have been all kinds of confusing for the disciples. It seems like it was regular discussion amongst themselves about who would be the greatest in this new kingdom Jesus would eventually establish, and what a mockery Jesus makes of them when he picks up a little child and holds her up to be the paragon of the new ruling class. So maybe what we need as grown-ups is this thing called childlike faith which we usually take to mean that we need to accept the gospel innocently, like a child believing in Santa Claus, for example. No questions asked. Except, if you've ever met a child, you know that this is not true. Not even a little. The kids I know, including my own, ask lots and lots of questions. And they ask the same questions over and over again. Why? Because they're curious about everything. Why? Because they're super young and everything is new to them. Why? Because they're discovering their limits. Why? Because they can. Why? Why? And why not? So this is where we can make a distinction between childish faith and childlike faith, which to me is like the distinction we made earlier between knowing and understanding. Childish faith, or knowing, is able to blindly accept things, yes, 
But because those of us with this kind of faith don't have a deeper understanding and solid foundation in our beliefs, we're easily triggered and swayed by any views that challenge those shaky core beliefs. We grow angry with anyone who disagrees with us and then double down on what we think we know. Childlike faith or understanding is what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 describes as being confident in what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This kind of faith doesn't mean that we don't ask questions. We see asking questions as a concerted effort in our journey to know God more, but our foundations aren't moved. Secondly, childish faith also demands things of God when those things we want are not answered immediately. We throw tantrums and attack the nature of God when we don't get what we want. Have you ever seen how quickly a kid can go from, can I have this toy, to, you don't even love me? You see, that's what I mean. But with childlike faith, we happily accept the gift of salvation from God without feeling like we need to work for it or that we even deserve it. It's a rare kid who thinks they're loved because they deserve it. It's usually just facts. It's a bold thought, but how liberating would it be if we just stopped trying to earn God's love and just accepted it? And lastly, a childish faith views the Bible from a very me-centric point of view. What does God have planned for me? How does this apply to me? What will God do to the people who have wronged me? But a childlike faith realizes that it's not about me at all. And in fact, we are mostly powerless on our own. We need someone bigger and all-knowing to guide us and give us small freedoms in the choices we make. Someone to celebrate us when we make the right decisions and someone to correct us when we stray off course. So what I want to leave you with today is a resolution to cultivate a true childlike faith. And of course, that begins with knowledge and investing in studying God's word. But it can't end there. Because while you can't understand without knowledge, having knowledge doesn't always lead to understanding. And in order to better understand, we need to admit that we might not have all the answers, and that's absolutely okay. But make an effort to seek out the answers. Admit it to yourself, like the Ethiopian eunuch did, that you need someone to explain it to you. And once you begin to understand, you can be that same source of clarity for someone else, like Philip was. Let's pray. What love have you lavished on us, O God, that you would call us your children? To be your servants, to be your acquaintances would be enough, yet you fully give us the right to become children of God. Despite that magnanimous gift you have given us, we have acted like petulant children, thinking our ways are always right and that we have all the answers. Teach us how to hone a childlike faith instead, a childlike faith that seeks you and delights in your presence. 
And especially today, we ask you to bless the children everywhere, from those in our immediate vicinity to those around the world who are living in the margins. May they always remember that they are your precious and infinitely loved children, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for welcoming them and all of us into your presence. Help us to grow in knowledge and understanding of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.